Welcome back to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm proud to launch episode number 135. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I speak with Molly Presley, SVP of Marketing at Hammerspace. And Molly brings over 15 years of product and growth marketing leadership experience to the Hammerspace team. She has led the marketing organization and strategy at Fast Growth, innovators such as Pantheon Platform, Cumulo, Quantum Corporation, Data Direct Networks, and Spectrologic. And in these companies, she was responsible for the go-to-market strategy for SaaS, hybrid cloud and data center solutions across a range of data intensive verticals and use cases. In this episode, we discuss some challenges of protecting NAS devices, the importance of a global file system to leverage your metadata and why the developer is king. So let's get right into this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Molly. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Awesome, awesome. I am excited to to have a conversation with you about uh, many different things, uh, including backup and recovery and storage, and maybe we'll sprinkle in a little bit of security and some uh, global namespace and just any and everything around uh, how companies can better protect their data and also how they can actually uh, manage all the data that that's growing within their environment. So why don't you start off by maybe giving us an overview of Hammerspace and uh, your role there? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Hammerspace is a pretty innovative, interesting company. We just came out of stealth in the last year or so after spending about eight years developing a global namespace that is really timely on what we bring to the table with the distributed environment that's come about both by companies shifting to the cloud. Maybe they have a couple of cloud regions. Maybe they have a multi-cloud strategy. They probably have multiple technologies in their data centers. So companies that are thinking about my data environment is pretty complex. And also now they're plagued with trying to figure out how to manage having a remote workforce as well. And you bring those two technology, those two pain points together and um, the concept of having all of your data sitting in a global namespace that is shared to all of your users um, is really the technology that um, Hammerspace is bringing into the market. My role here is to run the product um, marketing and marketing organizations. I admit I am old school, right? And you and I were having a conversation before I hit the record button that you might be old school as well. <laughs> I have been, and then I've modernized and have a nice blend of both, I suppose. Right, right. And so do you mind explaining what a global namespace is and the importance of having a global namespace? Yeah, you bet. So when you think about your primary storage systems in your data center, maybe it's a NetApp, maybe it's a pure storage, whatever the technology may be, um, they all have their own dedicated namespace. The data stored within that system within each cluster is isolated to that cluster. And then if you want to move the data, there certainly are technologies out there to replicate data from one vendor's cluster to another. So NetApp to NetApp or pure to pure, things like that. Um, but when you start to get to the point where you want to start to move data outside of those technologies or 
access data across multiple technologies. Maybe you have some data in S3, you have some data in an on-prem NAS, and you have some data in this cloud file. What Hammerspace does is aggregates all of the metadata and presents the data as one single pool above all of those systems, and that's the global namespace. So the users, the applications, set up their IP addresses, their network settings to interact with the Hammerspace global namespace, and then all the data that sits below us, we take care of the interaction with that so that you don't have to give access, move data around to many, many different systems. Okay, great. I love the way you explain that. And just for the listeners, NAS... You shouldn't. You should know the name. You should know this acronym: <laughs> Network Attached Storage. Okay, and back. You know, once again, I'm I'm going to show my age here. When I was a backup administrator and I was dealing with the NAS, and I I had to make sure that that NAS data was backed up. You're talking billions of files, so just a plethora of files stored. You know, in one area, it's almost like a data lake, but I wouldn't necessarily use the term, but it's it was more complicated than that. I guess my question, Molly, is what what is the challenge that that you see uh, with a with a NAS system, and maybe how is that challenge actually circumvented when you're talking about a global namespace? Yeah, so really, it's all about data access. I think if I were back when I was a storage administrator, when I actually did the work instead of talked about it. Um, you know, one, mm-hmm. A lot of the issues we often had was understanding what data has been created within the organization on users' machines in the data center. You know, now there's issues with what's been created in the cloud, what's been created at the edge. Um, but figuring out what data has been created in multiple different technologies is something that any one standalone technology, whether it's block storage or NAS storage or direct attached storage, whatever it is, they all kind of are their own entity and make it very difficult for IT administrators to know which data they have. And then as you think about the world where now data-driven businesses are looking to use AI, um, maybe they're wanting to use cloud services to use their data, how they know which data they have and get it to those services is really challenging. So it's less a function of an issue of the NAS, it's more data in so many places. Um, And so knowing what you have and then moving it to the human being or the application that needs it is a challenge. And and since since we're talking about data, and let's just talk a little bit about some of the data protection habits, and you you have good data protection hygiene or good data hygiene and bad data hygiene where you know, companies may not manage their data the way that they're supposed to. They're not classifying data and keeping data that's like dedicated for PII, you know, specifically. And it's stored in such a fashion that compliance and regulations are, are all taken into account. So why do you think that some companies maybe forget these best practices and maybe develop bad data protection habits, especially when they move to the cloud? Yeah, I think that, so I go back to the days of when I worked with NetBackup a lot, and mostly the systems that got attached to our NetBackup environment were the big corporate systems, the ones that were managed by IT. They were probably pretty well-known systems, technologies that the business depended on. 
And, and they were pretty easy to ensure that the correct compliance and retention and DR policies were set on. The problem is when data starts to be created outside of those systems, which is happening more and more because users' machines are really powerful, because it's very easy to set up a cloud environment and create data there. There's just so much data out there that um, the organization doesn't have built into their corporate systems and therefore isn't being managed by their standard protection processes. That's, that's the biggest reason, I think. And then when you think about the cloud specifically, um, usually the protection built into the cloud, the way people protect data out there is different than in the data center. They're not using their traditional backup tools. Um, it's some different tool. It may be a tool that's built into the cloud or you need to use a different instance of a cloud native version of your technology. So it's just different. And so lots of administrators, um, both you and I, for example, have been around the, the industry for a while, probably aren't as familiar with those tools or that's not what our workload was originally dependent on. So now you have to bring in cloud specialists for data protection. And again, you're introducing variability because now you have two places to set policies or four places instead of just one. Okay. Got it. Got it. I love that answer. And just just maybe shifting shifting gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the um, like different architecture services, like microservices that are out there right now. Like I know Kubernetes is really hot and I, I don't hear Docker as much as I used to hear it. And um, I, I really want to get your your take on why you think it's important to maybe use like a cloud native approach and utilize some of those microservices, um, especially when you're when you're talking about you know um, data protection. Yeah, I think that, and, and I hear about Kubernetes a lot more now too. I don't know why that is exactly, but I, I definitely see the same thing that that orchestration layer seems to be most common. And as you think about data protection, I, I, again, I think it kind of comes back to the. The developer is king, the engineer is king in most organizations these days, and they're going to select their tools which suit their needs to either get their code written fastest or get their analytics done more quickly. And um, Kubernetes environments are a big component of that, that is super easy to replicate a container, reproduce your environment. Um, and so developer, you can't really force the developer to use other tools, and you probably don't want to for their productivity. Um, so building in how do you protect containers? How do you protect the development environment as well as kind of the corporate enterprise application environment has to be a part of the strategy. And again, it's just, it used to be you tried to kind of force data into a certain IT paradigm. And now there's so many tools out there that you have to figure out how to weigh, how to build those into your your tooling too and your strategy. We, we, we wouldn't have a, an effective gumbo episode if we didn't talk about security. Uh, because it's it's top of mind for everybody today. And I remember reading an article about uh, the shifting role of the CIO and that they were considering changing that title mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from chief information officer to something else because their role is just so different today than it was 10, 15 years ago because of things like the cloud is such a huge component now and um, just the way uh, systems are architected, et cetera, and you have workloads running in the cloud and you're lifting and shifting and you're doing all these things, that they have a much different responsibility now than just 
you know, making sure the data center is secure and locked down and the, the physical component to it because the world is flat, right? So just from a security perspective, how do you view, uh, I guess, security risks and things like, like ransomware? And do you have any recommendations for customers to maybe protect their data from ransomware and maybe the best way to recover it or keep it safe? Yeah, I think that the whole ransomware situation is such a shame. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. frustrating to watch these kinds of attacks occurring, but they are a reality. And so we have to deal with them. And most good data protection technologies out there, if you're using kind of an out of the box data protection software, have good solutions, I think. But you have to implement them and then you have to make sure you're using best practices around them. But I think that the issue kind of goes back to, um, how easily can you recover from ransomware and how fast do you need to be able to get your organization back up and running and what will the cost be to do it? And just having a strategy isn't good enough. You need to be sure you have a strategy where you can recover fast enough. And um, I, I watched a data protection company who had a ransomware attack use their own technologies and it worked great, but they were also down for about six weeks. And their gap down on having everything back. The entire company wasn't down. And then also the gap in um, protecting, for example, developers code was about a day. So they still lost about a day of work and it took them about six weeks to get everything up and running because it was on tapes and other things, which isn't necessarily bad, but you just have to be sure you have a good understanding of your organizational tolerance um, and can you afford the downtime, whether it's minutes, hours, days, weeks, whatever it is from the data that you lost. Um, So that's one piece I think is close to home for all of us. And then there's the piece of how quick, you know, how do you really protect once the data has, once they try to lock you down, if they do, you lock you down. Do you have the ability to do things like undelete where you can just rapidly undo what they did? Or do you actually have to do a recovery where you're restoring systems and, um, you know, there's lots of modern technologies out there for ransomware that are better than what was built a year ago and it's evolving fast. So just keeping track of that's super important, I think, for anybody, especially in the C-suite who's protecting their business and their assets. Got it. Got it. And my, my mind always goes back to that that old saying of RTOs and RPOs, recovery mm-hmm. time and recovery mm-hmm. point objectives. Mm-hmm. It, it still comes up today. Uh, especially from a disaster recovery and resilience perspective is, you know, and, and I've even seen some customers talk about the, the three, two, one rule. Are, are you familiar yep. with that? I am. I, yes. I've seen three, two, one, three, two, one, one, three, two, one, one, two. I mean, these numbers keep changing, but I, I truly get with it, what they're trying to do. And it's, it's make sure you're covered. Right. And don't treat, backing up data as an insurance policy, it should be a part of your organizational plan on if something happens across any of our applications, because most companies are digital nowadays, that if you lose anything, it could mean that you are down for six weeks or six months, you know, for that purpose. So I want to shift a little bit to data overall, and there's different types of data. Back when I was learning about data protection, there was a thing called structured data and unstructured data. And um, structured data for me was things that are in a database that can be nightly, nicely tucked into a, a column in the row. 
Uh, but unstructured data could be anything, right? PowerPoint presentations or just files, you know, Word documents, you know, anything from that perspective. And that goes into data hygiene. Do you have any recommendations around the best way to deal with, you know, maybe unstructured data? It is different for sure. I, 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 I used to be a database administrator and thought databases were hard. Oh, I, was, really? yeah, I was an Oracle DBA. Wow. Okay. I used to think the complexity of Oracle was as tough as it could get. But the beautiful thing is it is contained. It is structured, you know, for lack of a better word, the data is structured, but the environment's very structured too. And there's great tools that are integrated. Unstructured data is hard. Um, it can be everything from data coming off mobile devices to sensors sitting in autonomous vehicles to like you say, office documents. It, it's just a lot of different stuff and it's being created from a lot of different devices. And so because it's distributed and dispersed, um, I, I think the latest data is about 2% of unstructured data that's created is actually stored. It's a very small amount. Lots of data is created that a piece of software says, I'm going to throw all this away except for these little bits. So the bits that are being kept, that 2%, have been identified by something or someone that they're important. So getting them into a you know namespace so that's what we do but it's not just what we do it's what a nas company or others do as well is get it into a storage system that you can then set policies on and that's really important is figuring out which data you're going to keep and then where you're going to put it and so that you can protect it and then you have to be careful that the tools you used for unstructured data may not work because like you said at the beginning of this podcast uh, unstructured data can be billions of files which scanning a billion files and you're thinking about incremental backups and figuring out where is what's the changes and which ones am I going to backup that could take days and your backups never complete and then all of a sudden you're looking at like gosh this backup job for my incremental has been running on the scan for four days what am I, what do I do so you can't just use the technologies you had before you need to have technologies that have real-time analytics and can use a snap death log to be able to very quickly um, without scanning the entire file tree, find where the changes are and protect them. And, and those technologies are pretty well developed at this point. Yeah, and that's where I used to have all of my pain uh, back when I was a TSM administrator backing up NAS devices and these billions of files that they had to be scanned on the back end. So let's say you wanted, you, you were just looking for like a, um, a user's home, home file location, the home directory. And you just wanted that one user home directory, which may include, let's say, 50 files. So you had to scan the entire list of all of those files. So it may be, a what, 500,000 there. To locate that 50, it took a very, very long time to, to actually recover that data as well. So you had to factor that in to your recovery point and recovery time objectives as well. Uh, Molly, I want to get your your recommendation, but maybe maybe not recommendation. I, I really want to want to want to see how you view the storage industry and some of the changes that have happened, you know, over the last five or ten years, and how cloud came in to kind of shift things in the way everyone is kind of storing data now in the cloud. How do you view that whole change in 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 that shift? It's been. I think it's always fun to watch the trend shift and the cloud came in and there was a lot of hoopla about how easy it was and how cheap it was and how now all of a sudden you don't have to have data center space and worry about power. 
And then the reality came about that actually, especially with the Amazon, and I think Amazon's incredibly self-aware of this, they're actually pretty tough to use. If you're not a developer, if you're an average business person, it's really tough to use. So the promise is intriguing, but the actual implementation is really hard. And then other clouds took different angles. Azure tries to be much easier to use and be more GUI-based instead of a command line-based and things like that. So it's been interesting to watch the different clouds kind of find their place. But then also to watch that very few organizations, at least big organizations, have gone all the way to the cloud. They still have their data centers. They want their data centers. But small companies, you know, if, if I were to go start up my own business of some sort, I'd probably be 100% in the cloud. So kind of the type of company who is in different locations has changed a lot. And what I think it ultimately has brought out is a lot of opportunity to innovate, to take advantage of innovation. If you can run cloud native and you can get your data up there and a lot of your IT systems up there, there's so many tools in the cloud that change daily. I mean, you see the marketplace changed all the time and you can take advantage of those today versus having to go through an assessment and how do you get it into your networks and all the processes that come about on supply chain and procurement and all of that with the data center, it gives you a ton of access to innovation, which is really neat, but it's not easy. It's not necessarily right. plug and play. Yeah, I, I love that response as well. And I, I want to go back to the developers king comment and how important it is to utilize and to have APIs that, that you could actually tap into for integration purposes and to also uh, make sure you can automate, you know, a lot of these different uh, pieces of functions that, that you have uh, administrators or engineers out there doing. Uh, so from your perspective, what role does APIs play in the data management, storage and, and analytics space? Yeah, I, I I think I would just reflect and mirror the same thing you said. They're just critical, um, especially when you're start starting to talk about data-driven businesses. If it's an insurance company who's just protecting their policies, probably not such a big deal. They're going to use kind of out-of-the-box technologies. But for data-driven businesses who um, need to derive insights into their um, data engineers, their data scientists, those guys only work on APIs. And so if you want to take advantage of machine learning and AI, that's pretty much just only an API command line tool. But then also if you want to automate, and this is a big portion of the focus of my company at Hammerspace, but at many other companies too, of if you think about billions of files and you have data dispersed over 20 edge sites and four data centers and three clouds, a human can't manage that on their own. They can't do it and be accurate at all. It has to be automated. You have to have machines that are looking at the entire environment, looking for error handling, alerts on red flags, and then handling those. And that has to all be done through APIs. So I think the world has really shifted that way. And so the developers are king because they're the ones who not only are looking at the data, but also have the tooling to tie that entire environment together. Okay. And, and what, what what's your perspective on an organization who is struggling to make data available anywhere, right? They have a hodgepodge of systems and they may have so many different applications where they are maybe struggling to kind of get that, that one view of where everything is sitting so they can, number one, appropriately manage that data. 
Uh, number two, appropriately classify that data. And number three, to make sure that that data is compliant. What what recommendations do you have and, and what's, what's your view on that? Without sounding like a commercial, look at what Hammerspace is doing because that's what my company does. But, you know, it is a new <laughs> and evolving okay. space and there aren't a ton of companies who are doing it right now. So Google around for global namespaces, Google around for hybrid cloud data orchestration, um, hybrid cloud data or, um, aggregation, those types of technologies. There's a few coming out and it seems like it's a place where there will be a lot of innovation over the coming years. Um, I was talking to somebody over on the Azure team the other day and his comment, he was one of their black bells and his comment was the idea of moving data to the cloud, hybrid cloud was well solved 10 years ago. But when you need multiple regions and multiple data centers and you want to see all that data in one spot, it's just not a well-solved problem today. So keep, you know, it's an area that needs to be um, invented. Otherwise, it's being done by developers um, with scripting, with API calls. They're, they're putting that capability together themselves. But if you need something that's pre-built for you to do it because you're, you don't have a development team who can, those are the kinds of technologies to start to keep an eye on that are evolving. Okay. And in true gumbo fashion, I, I know I am jumping all over the place, but you, you got to create this this big pot of, of everything <laughs> and just throw it in there. And trust me, it's going to taste good afterwards. <laughs> My little girl sings a song that seven days later, does it still to smell good, taste good? <laughs> Actually, there's a, song, a little nursery rhyme about that. <laughs> oh, that's pretty, that's pretty cute. We, we may have to hear it at the end of the episode. <laughs> maybe i don't think i can remember it <laughs> okay so um and, and maybe one or two more questions be before we wrap up and i, I want to shift a little bit to just data virtualization and you know I, I'll, I'll let you give me your definition for it but i, I really want to want to see it from your perspective why do you think it's important um in in the way that the landscape is shifting today to be able to you know virtualize the data and how data has changed and the way that it's displayed, the way it's viewed and the way that it is uh, being utilized uh, in today's in today's industry. Yeah, my opinion on that is data virtualization, which is different than infrastructure server virtualization, for example, is all about um, creating metadata. So there's an understanding about the data so that you can interact with the metadata and the reason for doing that is for, I'm kind of making these numbers up, for every petabyte of data that's stored, you maybe only need 10 megabytes or 10 gigabytes of metadata. It's very small. And so it's much easier to work with. It's much easier to move to the cloud, the metadata, than all of the data itself. And so it's not exactly virtualization, but if you can interact with metadata and then only deal with data moves or um, data migrations when you actually have to. It makes you okay. a lot more nimble. Great. And any interesting books that you are reading right now or you have on your on your nightstand? Uh, Work-related, I'm reading the first 90 days currently because I'm new to my job. And it's a yeah. great, and a lot of us are, right? There's this great resignation. So everybody, it sounds like, is moving around. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how to make an impact and a memorable impact in your first 90 days in a new job and not get wrapped up in the things that maybe don't. Yeah. 
deliver the impact that you want to. It's great. It's called The First 90 Days, and it really is sitting next to me. It's by Michael Watkins. Yeah, I have it, and I've always utilized it um, as well. It, it helps me lay out that plan and that strategy of, you know, think about what you're going to do in that first 30 days, and that's really learning, right? You have to really get in and learn learn the people, learn the culture, learn the environment, learn the products. Um, and then it's just really critical that, that you have all of that mapped out, right? And you, you have a plan with that and you can articulate that plan as well. Um, another question that I want to ask you as well, and I ask it often on the show is, what would you say to your 16-year-old self if you could travel back in time to kind of you know, give yourself some advice. What would that be? <laughs> My 16 year old self was very carefree and okay. I think remaining that way. And I like that word carefree. <laughs> very. And <laughs> <laughs> to the point that my professors and what our teachers might've been a bit frustrated with me, <laughs> but mm, okay. you know, maintaining that carefree attitude that in the end, um, work is work and it's important, but I, I do believe that the concept that you work to live, you don't live to work is something for all of us to remember. And my 16 year old self was good at that. And my older self sometimes has struggled with remembering that. Okay. One more, one more. Since we are in the great resignation, there are probably some college students out there um, that may want to get into the IT industry and they may want to dabble in storage and the cloud and you know, security, what advice w would you give to them right now? <laughs> Learn to write software code. Mm. Learn to code. Okay. Whether it's Python, it's Java, whatever is interesting to you. And even if you want to go into IT in the marketing space or you want to go into IT in customer support, if you don't have the ability to do a bit of coding, um, it's a lot harder. And if you do have the ability to do a bit of coding, you're going to have no problem finding jobs and finding a job you're really interested in. So even if you don't think you want to code, learn a little bit. Okay. That's great advice. I, I, I cringe every time I hear coding <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's kind of that, that fear of mm -hmm. diving into something that, that you know you can't get the first time. Like you really have to work your way up to it and you have to take baby steps to learn all, all of the concepts and, you, you only get better at it gradually as you do more and more and more with it. Um, and so I guess that's the, the young whippersnapper in me that um, <laughs> <laughs> I just I hate that marathon effect. And I wouldn't be who I am today um, if um, I, I, I didn't take that that baby step route. But I tried to skip it often and I ended up getting in trouble. But uh, I know I, I digress on, on this podcast, but. <laughs> um, maybe is, is there a social media handle that you would like to share even Hammerspaces or yours or yeah on Twitter we're at Hammerspace underscore Inc and I'm at Molly Presley and are, are you related to Elvis? Uh, my husband is in a very distant or, way or maybe you don't have maybe we can leave this <laughs> no, out no, we don't okay. have to put in this in a very in. distant way <laughs> Okay. Wow. So, uh, Molly, thank you so much for taking time out to to uh, be on Data Protection Gumbo. I've truly enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, you bet. Thank you for having me. 
Tennessee State University is introducing a new Master of Science in Data Science program, and they are now admitting students for fall of 2022. This is a fully online program and open to all disciplines. Please stop by www.tnstate.edu slash data for more information. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.